Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Each week, we sit down to watch an episode of Battlestar Galactica. Now, I've seen them all, but my good pal Matt has only seen up to the one we are covering. And this week, we are discussing Season 4, Episode 12, A Disquiet Follows My Soul. Are you the president? Again? Sorry I get confused what your job is on any given day. Laura Roslin is still the president. She'll make the final call. And where is Laura Roslin? Oh, that's right. Resting comfortably aboard Galactica. Funny how she kind of dropped out of sight ever since her prophecies about Earth turned out to be a bunch of crap. We're done here. If you try to shove an alliance with the Cylons down our throats, there'll be consequences, Admiral. I promise you. Thank you, Mr. Zarek. Makes it a little bit easier know who to hold responsible if there's an unfortunate incident. All right, baby. Here we go. A disquiet follows my soul, Matthew. Ooh, a disquiet indeed. Talk to me. So much political turmoil. Boy, what an episode. You know, I have the notes of a madman. Like, I I imagine this is what (laughs) Beethoven's music sheet looked like. Minus minus the genius. His hair tossling around it. (laughs) Except his has genius on it. Mine just is more demented than anything. (laughs) So um, I wrote down a bunch of stuff to talk about today, but I just wanted to say, hello, sir. How are you doing amidst all this fun we're having with (laughs) COVID-19? I'm uh, one of those lucky fucks who's still working. To me, it's just an extra shitty normal time. Especially in that (laughs) world. That's a tough world. That's a tough world with this heaped on top of it. You know, children, that's tough. (laughs) Fun being an essential worker. (laughs) Essential. Jesus Christ. <laughs> don't you get me started ranting on that bullshit. Anyway, how are I'm you? I'm essential. You don't talk to me like that. I'm essential, Dean. <laughs> you piece of shit. How are you, buddy? I'm good. That's good. 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 It's good. It's, uh, good to be back on the Battlestar Galactica kick. We are winding down, brother. I know. Are you and starting fucking to- fucking Zarek you, is winding up. Are you, Crazy. Are you starting to miss it a little? Wait, miss Battlestar? Yeah. Sorry, I'm off Thinking mic. about the incoming? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Fuck. It's going to be over soon. It's going to be over so soon. Yeah. Crazy to think about. Weird. Uh, And I still, even this close, I'm like, I I felt like two or three episodes ago, I'm like, okay, I think I might kind of see where this is all heading. Like where where, where we're going to, it's all going to converge. And now I'm like, I have no fucking idea again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm lost again. That's hilarious. I mean, it's both exciting and scary. Explain the scary part. I, I, I'm honestly at the point where I'm like, I fucking feel like anybody could die <laughs> at this point as well, especially by the end of this episode with this uh, alliance between Gaeta and Zarek looking to, I don't know, sow political terrorism. Wow. It's funny you said you were scared, so I didn't realize you were talking about it narratively. I thought you meant in the medicines, like, oh my God, is this going to be bullshit? Is it starting to be true, what some of the critics are saying or, have, or I've heard whispers of? I didn't know what you meant by scared. Oh, uh, no. So to be honest, so far, I still feel like the show's quality is holding up pretty much fine. I had one or two small moments in this episode where I was like, that's some interesting dialogue that I didn't expect to, to hear. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but overall, overall, I, I still feel it, it feels strong to me. Got it. First well, episode uh, written and directed by Ronald D. Moore, by the way. First one. How about that? Isn't that weird? I, I could, for some reason I could have sworn I was like, no, he's directed an episode before this, but no, no, he's, he's a written. Writer. He's a writer. Yeah, Never he's directed. one of them fancy book writing types. 
One of them letter-knowing types. Left or right and whatnot. Sentences, paragraphs, you know, pages. Punctuation. Not sure what happens after a page. That's beyond me, but uh, I hear it's pretty fancy. <laughs> fancy. Big bucks. So what's up, man? What do you think of uh, what do you think of this week's episode overall? Ah. <sighs> uh- I feel like it's a pretty strong episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I one of the things I like the most about this episode, and we talked about this before. Like, it's, I think some of the strongest uh, episodes of Battlestar have this in common. Um, and I'm not sure where I would like, you know, how high I would put this among some of the best episodes, but I think it's a solid one. But what I love about it is that the conflict at heart of it, uh, like the real political divide that we start to really start to see between, you know, Gaeta and Zarek and Adama and Rosalind and Lee, that little split. I I can really see both sides of it pretty fucking clearly. Like I I'm at that point again of like I don't see any of them as like pure villains. Um and I love that. To be honest, like it makes it very hard to take sides or or digest it all in an easy way, but I do really enjoy seeing it from all angles and going, I see Zarek's point, I see, you know, the Admiral's point. It all makes sense. Um it's just a shitty time. Um but I can't wait to get into Essentially, uh, uh, kind of back to the whole idea of how do the humans at large view the Cylons? Because um, I feel like that's kind of at the forefront of all of this. Of like, why are we getting the conflict we're getting now? I think it's very much so because of the way Cylons are viewed by the overall, like just the civilians among the fleet, um, and then also how much information is being kept back by by essentially uh, the government uh, and Adama in this. Like I think it's them it's them not being as transparent that is leading to some of these issues, in my opinion. Um and that that to me is it's it's intriguing just because I'm like, I get again, I get why they're holding it back. And I'm also like, but I can see the argument for for being more open about the situation so that we, you know, don't split into some weird civil war where your fucking fuel ship zips away to somewhere. Yeah. Oh fuck, man! But yeah, no, I love I love the layers of this conflict that it's that's starting to to unfold. Um, and boy, Gata Gata's got a chip on his leg. <laughs> He's got it hard. Got a chip that on that leg. Got a real chip, deep chip. Well, a lot to think about. I like the question you're posing. It's a good prompting question for this week's assignment, Matthew. What do the humans think of the Cylons at large? Is there an overarching thought? That is shared by everyone. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, baby. It's tough to say because what we're seeing is just a bunch of different groupings. And and it's almost perfect of a, of a question because it points you in the different feelings that seem to be permeated by each of them. Roslyn doesn't seem to give a fuck. Right? Yeah, she's pretty. She is pretty. Like, I mean, and I, I get where she's coming from as well. Of You know, she has lived her life the past, you know, I get what three years or so um, mm-hmm. enacting this role that she believed was, was given to her by the prophecy that I am the one leading and I will not make it to the end, but I'm leading to earth and with earth being the period of that sentence. Like that is, that is the goal, the one and only goal we are heading there. We are trying to avoid, you know, being destroyed by the Cylons and we're trying to get to earth and certainly get to earth before them to have hope and a chance at life. And that is gone now. That's it's been gone. completely yes. obliterated. And and I think it is it's really interesting to watch her 
I mean, for one, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I get where she's coming from as far as like, my role seems to be over. Like, I, I you know, I, I, on a personal individual level, you know, Roslyn, not as a president, but Roslyn as a human being, I'm like, I fucking get it. Like, how much time do you even have left? Mm. And what are you going to spend it doing? And you've already fulfilled what, you know, was hammered into you by, by the religious community out here. And, and, you know, this prophecy that she had only, you know, started out being somewhat skeptical of herself and then started to see more and more signs, you know, uh, you know, verifying it and really threw her whole hat into that. And it all came to naught. And she's like, well, now I'm just a person again. Fuck it. Like, I'm, I want to have my own experiences for the sake of myself. And I'm like, fuck, I get it. Like, I get it. I mean, she does, who knows how much longer she even has, even taking the medication, even doing the things that Coddle wants her to do. How much life left does she have to live? And I get that. But also, I think there's an interesting, an interesting flip side to that of by choosing to like, I'm going to, I don't care about the larger purpose at all. I'm going to live a little and just experience my own life for the, you know, the time that I have. It's also kind of giving up on life. Like she's no longer taking her medication. Who knows how much longer she has, you know, probably even less now. And also abdicating her responsibilities as the fucking president and kind of giving up on the lives of the the people in the fleet Mm. who've been counting on her. Um, so it's like this weird double edge of like she's choosing her choosing life for herself and abdicating life for what that means and everybody else that she influences or, or has power over. Interesting. Yeah, it's um the the poem right is uh, the Prowling Bee by Emily Dickinson. Ooh, right. That that's the one that Dom is reading out in the beginning. Sure. Yeah, and um, it's it's interesting as it you know this idea about living sort of in the moment i believe is is sort of what we're seeing here with her and it does it does make you wonder is this an abdication of responsibility is it a a complete and utter disregard for responsibility um i I think that's a big part of it it's interesting because we see the state of the fleet right that's one thing the episode is definitely showing us is that the state of the fleet um even again with the hallways being a mess uh, spray paints you know, you don't see that. It's kind of interesting because we don't ever see this as it relates to the way people are interacting with each other other than sort of Gata's flippancy and seemingly disrespectful tone as it relates to talking to his superior officers. It's almost like, it's fascinating to think of this weird juxtaposition between Gata and Rosalind. Gata's almost like saying, fuck the world in in one way. And in she's almost saying it in a different way, right? There's a very interesting dynamic tension between the two that I want to talk about. Because he's almost like, I don't know, he he's embracing the the the, you know, I kind of want to watch the world burn and there's going to be a there's going to be a reckoning and and fuck this and you know, I don't trust these Cylons. I think this is dumb. You're making how are you deciding this for everybody? You know, he's being very antagonistic, right? Right, right. He's being very difficult. And he's not being, you know, it's funny because he's smart and he has ideas and he just doesn't have any charisma. Like it, it's, <laughs> it really hurts him. He yeah. he hasn't, he's had, and you know, I've been, I've been dogging on Gata a lot because I was a Gata guy in the beginning. I really liked Gata. And yeah, me too. And I don't, and, and I even like the fact that he was the guy who, I mean, he was flipping over the dog bowl. He was giving resistance information. He was working from the inside 
And I remember even being very defending of him being a, a, a uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Advocate. Being when he was accused? Or- an, an advocate for him when he was being accused and the stuff that comes up this week with Starbuck and the airlock and all that bullshit. And then, um, and then I don't know what happened from there. I, I, I don't know what happened from there, but it's, um, I have to ask myself, like if I try to think about the character realistically about what he's been through, what he's going through, where he is, what's going on, getting his legs severed. Um, you know, I, I guess part of me sympathizes, but then there's also the other part of me that's like, okay, by the end of this episode, Gate has gone from just being antagonistic and difficult to outwardly rebellious. And I don't yeah. mean like rebellious, like it's cute. I'm talking like insurrection. Yeah, for sure. It's weird. You know, it's a weird path for him to have taken. He was always, but it's not, you know, because he was with fucking Gaius. And when Gaius was the yeah. president, it's, He's always had these weird, um, I don't know. It, it, it seems to me like whatever Gata's bugaboo is at the time is what he's going to crusade for. And I can't really <laughs> pin down his motivations all the time. Yeah. But I, yeah. And I mean, I mean, he, I guess I can from a practical, maybe he's just the, 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 the consummate pragmatist, Right. You know? Right. Well, I mean, I think he's, I mean, I think he's abandoned that to a degree here by just taking this very hard line against the Cylons. I mean, he is, I mean, he has certainly found the right ally in Zarek by the end of the episode of being people who cannot accept the idea of a, of a Cylon human alliance, uh, at least for the long term. Like, okay, you know, this episode really hammered home to me. And I'll admit on my first viewing, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Cause I'm like this, I thought we were reaching at least some place of, I don't know what you'd want. Solidarity solidarity at least yeah. like i was gonna say equality but i'm like that's not quite the right word but solidarity at least among like these cylons <laughs> aren't the cylon they are rebel cylons there's a small crew of them they have joined up with you guys they went to earth with you they're not the rest of the cylon it's it's a separate thing and this episode on my second viewing it really kind of pounded it back into my head of like well people like gata and zarekas and especially the rest of the civilian crew they don't get that they don't see that like to them it cylons a cylon like it's it's shocking to them still that we have cylons among the fleet that we have now learned who are cylons and we're just kind of letting that ride and we're like okay well you know saul's a a cylon and he's the xo but we're just gonna we're gonna roll with that and i mean for us i think this is another episode that really drives home the idea that the people the main characters of this show um are essentially the elite's in this society. I mean, they're the upper tiers of the military, the upper tiers of the government. They are in the know for a lot of these things. They're the ones directly negotiating with this, you know, the rebel Cylons to, to figure out this kind of situation, to make a truce, to go to earth together and then to leave earth together. They're the policymakers, the the decision makers. Right. And uh, this is an episode that I think is a good reminder of, Hey, the rest of the people, uh, you know, amongst, you know, the, the wider part of the, the civilian fleet, they don't know any of this shit. Like, to them, a Cylon's a Cylon. Like, that has never changed. Like, they've always, you know, think of how many times, I mean, how many times, how many episodes we've seen these things where even, like, uh, a, essentially an, all P, an APB is, like, sent out across the, the fleet of, like, there's a, you know, there's a new skin job Cylon model. Here's what they look like. Be on the lookout. Like, that's the world they've lived in. And now, all of a sudden, the government's going, actually, yeah, we have a group of Cylons with us, and they're going to be with us, and we're going to team up, and now they're also going to be, you know, citizens among the fleet. Like, for us as viewers, it's easy to go, well, we've been along for the ride. We've been 
in the know with the same decision makers, you know, at the top of this essentially the small society. But a lot of the people don't have our point of view. Like, I think it's very easy as viewers of the show to go, well, I get why this needs to happen. Why is everybody so pissed off? Um, but at the same time, you got to think like, well, they don't know all this stuff. They haven't gotten to see Deanna. They haven't got to, to, to talk to the Cylons and see where this is all coming from. For them, and I think this is kind of the main issue uh, in this episode that splits, you know, Zarek and Adama and all these guys the big splitting point is the view of what Cylons are. Um, and I think one of the things they fail to do uh, as, as far as like the government getting across this idea, which you can see them kind of hemming and hawing about it in this early, you know, uh, the press conference towards the beginning of the episode when it's Zarek, Adama and Lee, they, they don't want to give too much information because they don't want to rile people up. They don't want to scare people. Um, but they're really, they fail to get across the, 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 the notion that, Hey, look, the Cylons are not a hive mind. Like, I know we talked a bunch about that back in the early, sure. you know, seasons of this. Like, they are not a hive mind. This is not, you know, the Cylons are not the Cylons. They are individuals. Um, and that to me is kind of one of the main things. I'm like, if you're trying to keep the peace here and especially sell the idea that, okay, Cylons are among us now and these particular Cylons, especially, we're okay with and they're going to be a part of us and they're going to help us and we're going to help them and they're going to live with us in the fleet on our way to the whatever new home we can find you really need to sell the idea that these are individuals they have chosen a different path you know apart from the the cylons who bombed all of our worlds and who are still pursuing um and that is something where i'm like they didn't really ever try to get that idea across uh they're just kind of talking about like yeah we've just accepted these cylons it's interesting I like that point. Um, I think you're bringing up a very fair point for the show entirely because we only know what we know about the Cylons by watching our main characters interact with said Cylons. And then we as viewers form our opinions based on those interactions. Um, right. and, and you're bringing up a point that I like, which is often forgetting what the other 30,000, 100 some odd people are thinking, right? Because that matters. It matters for world building. It matters yeah. for consistency in writing. It it doesn't matter for anything really beyond that because they don't really, it, I don't, they're not really represented, so to speak. Maybe the quorum represents them as sort of panically and indecisive, you know? Well, uh, certain, certainly as far as like what sides are taken when a conflict erupts, like, you know, the way that those lines get drawn, that's where I think it really comes into play. Right, right. And, and you definitely make a good point in terms of what is it, you know, what, what do they think? I think if you were to ask the average colonial citizen at this point, if they even would know how to verbalize this, but I think they would just say, oh, they're enemy combatants. Like, we don't know anything yeah, about them. Exactly. They're just the enemy. The, the enemy who bombed, you know, the hell out of most of our species. <laughs> cor cor destroyed us. Correct. They, are, they have a legion. I don't even think they would think hive mind. I don't even think they would think that advanced on it. They might speculate. I don't really know. But I do wonder, like, do, is it, would, would you, like, if you were at war with... I, this is where it gets really interesting because when you have to separate the military from the civilians and because yeah. the military and the government are so closely entwined, so is of course the civilians. So for example, in world war two, the United States is at war with Germany, Japan, and Italy, right? And some others, by the way. And, <laughs> um, and if there was a contingent and there were, 
of German rebels who are like, we don't really like this. We want to, we're trying to undermine Hitler. We're trying to blah, blah, blah. And we're going to work with the, with the government despite the atrocities, which again, a lot of them weren't known at this point in the war, but this, let's just say they were, let's say everybody knew at the time, Yeah, which, which it isn't the case, but let's just say they did. Like, wow, there are these crazy concentration camps. You guys do these horrible things. Holy shit, we, that's insane. <laughs> I don't we, want to be a part of that. Yuck. Yeah, and, and, but not even that. But they were like, the, but, and, but the military intelligence sussed out the leaders of this resistance and like, all right, they're giving us good intel. We can trust what they're saying. We're going to go ahead and enter into uh, uh, some sort of agreement with them where we help them cause destabilization in German territories, right? Yeah. That would be something the civilians wouldn't have to understand or, or even understand the nuances of. I guess what I'm trying to say is this is a long-winded way of saying that if Adama as a military commander has rogue elements of the group he's fighting against and he determines that he can trust them and utilize them as military assets, then I'm not sure the civilians have much say in that because they don't know what the fuck that even means or what the information is, right? Do you know what I'm right. saying? Now, uh, I think so. Yeah. Like in other words, be, but I'm just saying in a perfect world, it's all separate, right? Like Matt, yeah. you don't have a say. We, we, you know, we, we go to war with Iraq, right? But then it's also like, well, there are elements within the Iraqi army that we are utilizing and we've aligned ourselves with. Let's just say that's the case. You wouldn't really have a say in whether or not we should do that or not. You don't, you're not that's qualified yeah. to make that call, right? You don't I know. I think a dis- <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I I see what you're saying there, and I but I do think a distinction here that I that I think is interesting is that one of the things that these Cylons, which you actually hear from from Chief Tyrrell, is that they want to become you know, fully considered citizens of the fleet. And, right, and that's when it gets political. Fleet. Right, that's when it gets political. Right, absolutely. Right, that that you, that, you were, that's where I was headed. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah, and it's like that that whole idea does break it a lot wider as far as like absolutely okay, well well now we're talking about like you know they're going to be living <clears throat> and placed uh, you know literally directly placed onto different ships you know in order to do this you know the ftl drive upgrades and in order to do that they're going to need the cylons they have to be placed on these ships to do it and they're going to have to be treated like citizens of of you know the colonies to do that um and that's kind of the big ask where i'm right. like well, if you're going to ask that of the civilians uh, who who up to now, because and also partly because of you guys, only think of the Cylons as enemy combatants, you're, you know, again, I got to say, in that little meeting when it's uh, all of the officers, you know, it's Saul and Adama and Lee and even Gaeta and Hilo, all of them standing around talking about these, you know, what, what we're going to have to do and, you know, how are we going to communicate this with the Cylons, how are we going to communicate with the civilians, Hilo makes the best point. Of being like, we need to sell this to them. We need to sell, you know, the utility of this to them and how it, like, what the, you know, the Cylons being placed among the fleet is not us giving them, you know, giving them some extra freebies and like getting, giving them all these benefits for free. It's like, no, they're, they're going to help us. This is going to help all of our, you know, hopes for a new planet. And he's the one who makes that point and it kind of gets passed over, um, I would say. Right. So, Let's just set let's 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 set the table for that discussion because I think there's a lot of good stuff there. Essentially, the Cylons have have FTL capability that far exceeds humanity's. And it is triple jump capacity, which essentially means that you are tripling your efficiency when it comes to searching for a new home, which means right. in essence 
you are going to find a home three times as fast as you would have normally. Now, right. three times as fast seems sort of like an arbitrary number, uh, almost esoteric in that it's like, well, what does that even mean? Because if we're looking for five years, we're not going to feel better going, well, at least it wasn't 15, you know? So it's <laughs> right. that already there is an abstract cell, right? But the cell is coming from the Cylons as voiced by Tyrrell, by the way, interesting. Yeah, which is who's still having trouble even being like uh, their. Te- I mean, our technology. Right, right. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> which is um, he? He's basically just saying we want. At the end of the day, they want protection if they're going to share this technology, and then to share that technology, they need to implement help implement that technology, which is beyond human. Like in other words, the design specifications require Cylon engineers to help do this or Cylons right. with the engineering know-how to do it, which is certain copies of certain models. Leoben's a few others, they said, right? Yeah. yeah. And then they they're saying, correct. And then they're saying, well, we just want to be protected under this because their deal is now at a strange impasse. So if you're a Cylon, you're saying, well, we made this deal to go to Earth together, but we didn't really have anything worked out after that. And now that Earth's not there, we're quite not sure what to do. People seem more preoccupied with the fact that, here's the good news for the Cylons, people seem more preoccupied with the fact that there is no Earth and they're really butthurt about that than they are running around punching Cylons in the face, right? That's true, yeah. So Cylons seem to be, yes, a concern, but not as much as a concern as the lack of Earth. The lack of Earth, the lack of the promise fulfilled has caused this existential dread to come over the fleet and it doesn't really seem to be focusing on the Cylons because these sounds have been them with them for some time and they really haven't caused any problems as of now. Um, right. That's not to say people won't ultimately distrust them because at the end of the day, they did nuke 12 fucking planets. That's always going right. to be a thing, right? No, or at that's least- the thing. Like, I, I actually kind of took this episode as a bit of a pivot from despair over you know Earth not being what it <laughs> was and what we all hoped it would be to now, you know, as we are moving away from that and moving off to try and find something else, that that despair starts to slowly transform into anger towards the silence. Um, <laughs> the five stages of grief. Me, there you go. It's like, <laughs> like now it's being, you know, it's, it's gone from internal despair of everybody's own, you know, individual hopes of what they thought they were going to get out of earth. And we finally get to stop, you know, flying through space in a big fucking can. We get to, you know, be somewhere that, you know, has been promised us to now like, well, that's gone. And that internal individual despair becomes a more collective anger at well we're still in this mess originally because of what the fucking Cylons did why are right. we all pissed again let's remember which you know, seems to be kind of seems like being, a transition yeah. it is but it seems to be being championed by two guys <laughs> that is true right it's a, you you don't get the feeling collectively at least i didn't from the officers and maybe i should have watched it more than once even though i've seen it in the past but you don't get that I, I never quite got that feeling collectively from leadership. I just kind of got it from Gaeta, who was just kind of chirping about the whole thing. And right. then, of course, Zarek is making his stand, of course, in, in this moment. <laughs> but oh, no, yeah. it is, it's interesting to think about, like, this idea of, okay, what are we, what does this, what does this mean? So the Cylons are now going, well, we have a situation here. What, what the Cylons really should have done, <laughs> should have, doesn't really matter, but here's what I'm going to say, especially Tyrrell. Like, Tyrrell, you've lived among humanity for a long time. I think the, right. the final four, as it were, are very skillful at understanding humans 
I think they are. Maybe Tori's the least, maybe she's always felt weird about humans, but way <laughs> more than so Six, sure way more than Laoban, way more than Cavill, or any yeah. of those other ones, these guys really get humanity. Oh. And they don't, you know, you would think Tyrrell would do something like say, okay, look, they're not going to just make us citizens because we have the possibility of getting in them triple jump capacity. Like that's, yeah, you know, that, that seems like such a hard sell. It could just be, can we have amnesty from prosecution and abuse? Like, can we be protected? Can you just right. protect us? That's all we need. Then maybe, because when, I- when you start going, we want to be citizens, we want to sit on the fucking quorum. What, for hyperdrives? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. We're not there yet. It's a <laughs> little early. Other, you know, it's a little early. The other question that I feel like this episode kind of begs at this point where I'm like, okay, like, you know, we are not in season two. We are not in a world where nobody has any idea what any skin job Cylon looks like. It's sure. all a, a terrifying mystery and the fleet is on, you know, edge about it all. The leadership is trying to figure out what the, the models are. Now people like in, in the press conference at the beginning of the episode, like reporters outright know they're like, so, you know, the XO Saul Tai is a Cylon. Is he still serving? Like they, they already know that he is one. Like this is like, does the public know who the final four are? It seems like it. I mean, they, they certainly know that, that, uh, Ty, there's is no one. way it didn't like, circulate. Right. Exactly. And nothing, if nothing else, it's, it's certainly unofficial, pretty substantiated rumors exactly. that are, that are out there. Um, and I'm like, you know what? Like my, I mean, this is my own, just like take on that. Like if I'm their PR guy, Hey buddies, how can we spin this to make it all good? Like if I'm that fucking guy, my thought is, okay, well we're at the point where, it's a given like the, the, the fleet, even the civilians, they know that Cylons are among us and that we're even cooperating with them and living with some of them. It's time for them to hear from them. Like, I'm like, why? Like I, I almost wanted to see Adama go, okay, you know what, chief? I think you're a really smart guy. You're really eloquent. You're making some good points here. I, I even see where the Cylons are coming from and that they do need some protections. Time for you to make that case to the public. Almost because, like six did with the quorum, right? Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, because I mean, like at the end of the day, it's it's always if it's Adama or or even Zarek giving these speeches, it's always a human speaking on the behalf of some unseen thing that the the, the rest of the fleet doesn't understand. And I'm like, well, if if Chief Tyrrell steps up and goes, "Hey, yeah, I'm also one of the Cylons. Here's what we can offer right now. Can we at least have like what you said? I think is even pretty reasonable. Like just some level of like amnesty from prosecution of like, or, or just like not- asylum." <laughs> yeah know? exactly of like look we're maybe we're not asking for full rights among you all yet maybe we don't live together permanently but we're here in this now and we can offer this you know to one another let me as a cylon lay out what we're going to offer and how we're going to do it and what it's going to take you know on a cooperation level to to accomplish that um because i'm like if it's just coming from adama and over and over well like i get how somebody like gata and zarek come to this conclusion of like well this government is just a dictatorial government telling us how it's going to be Versus, well, what do the Cylons actually fucking say? Like, because, you know, again, they're still wrapped in mystery to the most of the fleet, which I think only adds to their notion of them being scary enemies. Right. It, it's true. It does. It, it's it's definitely a complicated situation because now you're now you're almost bypassing leadership to say, oh, let these potential people make the case. And then the leaders are going to say, what do you guys think? Like, that's it's hard to run a military that way. Right. Well, that's it's, true. The that's charge true. running military is a democracy. It doesn't work. It gets undermined because then it'll be like, well, we have <laughs> right. a say about this now. Like there has to be, you have to have like the strong leadership front that shows that we have the shit under control, which means 
Rosalind sort of goofily running through the hallway, trash everywhere. Like that needs to be handled. Like that shit needs to be taken care of. It's a military ship. It needs to be fucking, it needs to be, that shit needs to be cracked down on. That's what Ty needs to be doing. That would be one of the first orders of business is just cleaning your fucking house. You know, like this, <laughs> is, a mili- this, trash. this is a military ship. We are still underway. We are still on a fucking mission. And now we're on a new mission. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's difficult, but that's too bad. We're going to press on. We got to, you know, I'm not saying be fucking Kane, but you know, be a little more like Kane a little bit, just a little, a tiny bit, you know? You, you like it. pick up the trash. What are you doing? No one's going to take you seriously if you let your ship fall into disarray. Just dumb shit like that. And I don't even mean dumb from a writing perspective, but like an oversight by this current leadership. Right. And, uh, right. you know, in, 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 yes, the leaders have their opportunities to do their things, but you know what? You know what you do? You be a goddamn man or a goddamn woman and you fucking, you go cry behind that rock outcropping fucking captain miller does in saving private ryan after giovanni rabisi cries for his that's mom that's right you go down you're like give me a minute and you fucking have a nice hard cry then you come back and you're like we're ready we're all set let's go they don't <laughs> don't you don't need to drag the whole fucking crew into your misery you know and like officers acting like shit dicks like the ship between starbuck and gata like st- st- first of all gata shut the fuck up <laughs> like he's not he's being a total fucking you he's being he's being detrimental to the mental welfare of the crew, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I agree. Like, from whatever angle he's even trying to approach, whatever he's trying to accomplish, it's still going to be totally detrimental to the unity of the actual, like, the pilots and the crew and the people trying to keep everybody safe here. Mm-hmm. One thing I think about that scene, you know, it only dawned on me on my second viewing, is that I think he only sits down across from Starbuck and starts kind of, like, needling her the way that he does to try and get her to leave. Like, that is his only goal there. Because at first I was like, why Why do you have such an axe to grind against you know, uh, Starbuck? Like, uh, yeah, her husband, Anders, turned out to be a Cylon, and he's also the guy who shot you in the leg and you lost your leg. Like, because that, he has, that personal I, I have an answer, yeah. if I may. He has sure. an axe to grind in general. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't think it's absolutely. just Starbuck. I just think he has an axe to grind. I just, yeah, exactly. And, and I just thought it was interesting that he singles her out in that moment. But I think it's really because he knows that at the end of the day, Starbuck is a is an old soldier loyal to the end to Adama and mm-hmm. to the you know to those crew. He's got to get her out of the you know the pilots you know room, and he even says, "Close that hatch, let's talk." Like he was trying to like I'm gonna fucking piss her off and 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 get in her shit and get her out of here, so then I can start rallying people around me for a little bit of mutiny. That's a good point. That was a poem. That was a poem. You're, you're welcome. It was that. good. It was, I mean, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Shitty poem. <laughs> Emily Dickinson be damned. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I think you're onto something there because you get the feeling that these people were kind of hearing what he had to say because there's a couple people walk out and they glare back at those guys and then a couple yeah. people stay. So yeah, you're getting that exactly. impression like divided loyalties already. Some guys are mean mugging. One guy shuts the door under Gata's orders. I was like, okay, let's talk, he says. So, yeah. <laughs> I think doing- it's a good way of illustrating that Gata does have some some sway, especially among among the military, among the officers. There are people who look at Gata as, I mean, he's been around a long fucking time. He's been a, a right hand in the CIC, and he was the right hand of, you know, President Baltar. Uh, whether how, regardless of how you feel about that administration, the dude's been around, and people people know that. And I think people do 
you know, it's an interesting reminder that people probably do respect him and his point of view. I mean, he's right. enough so to where he can rally people to eventually, essentially teaming up with Zarek. Right. And I think it's important to note that he has to have a convincing argument enough for us to be convinced that anyone's going to listen to him. And I will say that he does a good job of handling himself against Starbuck in this little verbal altercation. Even though he annoys me and I wish you would have cracked him in the face with a mug. <laughs> right. He's well, not... You know, he is... He ahead. is... He is pushing the correct buttons to manipulate the way he wants to manipulate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he knows that he can just piss her off. Um, and what she's going to do is just kind of rage at him, but also walk away. Like, you know, what is she going to do? Fucking, like you said, crack him over the head with a chair. Like, that's probably right. not going to happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, I like that moment, man. And he's used to in this thing where he's going... Oh, 50 billion dead, and your husband was among them. Did he detonate nukes? Like, he's getting into really insane territory, right? He's getting yeah. into really insane territory. Right, exactly. But then it's like you have all the other answers too, which is like, you like you, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We'll never fucking know. What do you want to do about it? You know, like at the end of the day, I'm one of those, like, I, I have the same kind of feeling as Starbucks where I just want to go, let's cut through all the bullshit and just tell me what you're telling me. And we'll figure it out right now. You know, are you telling me you're going to go drag my husband out of his quarters and kill him? Because if so, I'll just kill you right now. Like, what? <laughs> what are you saying? Like, what? What? Get to the fucking point, Gata. Just cut. Right. Just give me. Tell me what you're telling me. What's your move here? Like, just go right to the gun on the table. Because I like fucking stop window dressing all this bullshit. Just tell me what your point is. You know? Because what are you? What are you going to do at the end of the day? Are you going to then? What are you going to then? Are you, do, do you want to maybe try Athena? You know, the one who's been way more effective at keeping you guys alive than you have as of late. You want to try her <laughs> too? Yeah. So it's like, you can get into all the, all the, you know, like ugly shit with this stuff. But in Gata's defense, people are angry. People want answers. People are tired. And people are ready to consider what he has to say. And that makes sense. And it's, and, and it's because he does have some points. I don't agree with him, but he's making points. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting. And this leads that, us to Zarek. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, it, it, it's cut right together, you know, when <clears throat> when everybody, Starbuck, and you have the few people who leave the pilot's, you know, bar, and he says, close the hatch, let's talk. We cut right over to Zarek making this point of, which again, this is, to me, this is kind of the perfect example of, I don't agree, but I see how he gets to the place that he gets to logically of going, <clears throat> okay, we've been dangled along by this promise of Earth from Rosalind and Adama, you know, Rosalind who promised it as part of this prophecy, whether you were a believer or not. That's also, I mean, that's a big question in and of itself of like people who are like, oh, I'm not religious. I don't give a shit about any of this. Why are we going to Earth? I don't know if that's real at all. Like, but that became, in a sense, government policy that we are headed to Earth. We're going to try and find this thing that's part of an ancient religious prophecy. Here's hoping. I hope you're all on board because here we fucking go. Um, Zarek brings up the point of like, this was a move to keep themselves in power of like the, you know, and of course, like we know as viewers, we are in that privileged position of like, well, we've seen the insides of this. We know that it wasn't just them cynically using earth as a way to retain power, but I can also see how from the outside amongst the fleet, it would look that way. And I can see how Zarek would feel that way. And he brings up this point of like, earth is done. It's, it's nothing. And yet here we are still being led along by them when all we got from years of following them was nothing. Um, and I'm like, 
I get it. I get the anger. Like it is, it's a, it's a righteous fury that I, I understand. Right. Yes. Yes. I, I, I understand it emotionally, but it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Right. Yeah. Which is what, which is one of the things that annoys me about the quorum. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't expect more from the quorum. They're just people with suits on instead of regular people. You know what I mean? That's the difference between them and well, any, I, any other honestly, fucking swinging dick. Right. Well, I'm I'm actually really curious though about your take on on Zarek's motion here because there's a part of me that like on principle agrees with it. Even though in the reality of the situation I'm like I'm actually against this idea. Um because you know Lee brings up you know essentially Zarek's motion is no Cylon should be allowed to any uh, onto any of the you know ships in the fleet without the captain and the, you know the crew of that ship having a say in it and, and agreeing to that. That it can't just be some unanimous, unilateral, you know, military decision to place Cylons on these ships. Kind of reminds me of like Third Amendment and quartering soldiers of like, you can't just put people in people's houses. Like, you're, we're going to have to, you know, they get to have a say in that. And I'm like, on principle, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I get that. That actually does make sense. But Lee's, you know, objection to it, of course, is like, this is an, you know, we need unity here. The only reason that we would even place Cylons on any ship is for them to literally do the work that only they can do to upgrade our, you know, FTL drives, which is a, you know, a crucial matter. But at the same time, I'm like, again, that's, that's why I like the conflict here of like, of course, people deserve say of who boards their ship. It shouldn't just be government oversight of like, and we put whoever the fuck we want on your ship. And if you go against it, we'll arrest you. <laughs> like, that sounds pretty bad. That sounds like mm. dog shit. But also, you guys really need this, <laughs> and it kind of needs to be a unilateral decision. So it's a it's a nice, thorny, painful, shitty, cutting conflict that hurts me deep, but I like it. Gotcha. So yeah, I've thought about this. Um, I've thought about this quite a bit, and it becomes what for for me. I always get back to a question of for me it it's it's very difficult because. One of the nice things about principles over politics is that principles usually can survive outside of the shifting political winds, right? Principle is kind of a thing that's just sort of been around forever. The idea of virtue or principle, right? Principle doesn't care about administrations. It doesn't care about certain things. So the guiding light. It it, it sort of is. And, And it becomes a question of what, if if you want to keep it really simple for me and the way I think politically <laughs> is if this fleet of people is essentially a group of people who are voluntarily together, then anyone on the end point can voluntarily leave. Okay. Now that said, that's not the situation. So the captain quote unquote of the Tilium ship, I don't know if that means he owns the Tilium ship. Who owns the ship, right? That's a good question. I got so, to, I mean, now this is totally me speculating, but I imagine that in the times that they're in, like, you know, maybe the Tilium ship was part of a fleet of mining, you know, ships that was owned by either a company or uh, a government of one of the colonies. Well, now, since this is the only Tilium ship, you got to kind of imagine that the government sort of respects the autonomy of the captain of that ship to decide certain things even though obviously it's a especially crucial ship to the fleet as a whole right absolutely so in in a in a perfect world i think each 
let's say each captain owns their own vessel. I'm of the distinct opinion that that captain can do whatever the fuck they want with their own vessel. And that means deny and or eject anyone who is on that vessel and or leave the fleet or stay with the fleet at any time. So I totally believe in the voluntary action of each individual captain and commander in a perfect world, right? Mm-hmm. I do. I truly, I truly believe that. Now, if the Tilium ship is some sort of government-sponsored corporation that has a captain that's there because he worked for the company, then that gets a little bit more dicey in terms of fucking ownership. But I kind of like, I don't, hmm, I don't love Zarek. I, lo- I love Zarek the character. But I find oh, yeah. myself at odds with Zarek because I think when he talks about being uh, this political, politically oppressed individual and that he's interested in freedom and liberty and he's starting to sing a language that I am very like to consider myself very interested in and, and sort of familiar with, that I think he's very contradictory in what he says and believes about liberty and freedom when he talks about it. I think he's a very contradictory character. And I think he's much into sensationalism and I think he's much into like the spotlight. Do you know what I'm saying? He's his own ego. Yeah. He's very much ego driven than he is principle driven. Adama holds him to that. Yeah. I really, ah, <laughs> uh, that's a great moment. So mm-hmm. now, so what is my, it, it, again, I don't, first of all, in, in my world, the quorum has no say in what a captain of a ship can and can't do if the captain owns his own ship, right? right? The quorum cannot give and or take any rights away that they don't have a right to give and or take away because I'm a kip then in my own fucking world and I own my property. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So right. in my perfect world, the quorum has no say on what a captain can or can't do with a ship, right? <laughs> now, but I mean, I they- also can have say about what how, how much access to the other ships in the fleet they have and what other resources they need that are that are being shared 100% 100% that's where the beauty that's that's where my <laughs> that's where again we all have these perfect visions of the way society would operate in our perfect world and none of them are perfect sadly but yes they <laughs> would all be sharing resources voluntarily because they all want to fucking survive exactly and i am convinced that regardless of what the quorum decides or doesn't decide, if I was a captain on a ship and 12 colonies got destroyed and like, like the way, in other words, let me back it up a little. I think it's almost a false premise and almost a false narrative. Here's why. Because what Zarek is saying is they've failed us. They've dragged us around. They haven't done anything. That's all, that's all nonsense. You're only alive because of Adama and his people. You're only alive because of them. You all would have died. Had the prison ship been left to its own devices, it would have been destroyed. You guys would be gone, okay? Everyone, your little Tilium ship, you'd be dead. You'd all be dead. So I am of the opinion, here's, in a, in a perfect world, Quorum, shut the fuck up. Get me on the <laughs> horn as Dama. Let me talk to the people and explain to them exactly what the fuck's going on here. Now, you can deny this technology coming on your ship that's going to allow us to, to travel faster, allies that we've come to trust over time, or you can stay here and die. You can come with us for a chance at living by letting these people on your ship, or you can stay and die. The choice is yours versus forcibly putting people on the ship. Like It doesn't have to be an either or to me. Yeah, I feel like you can just have a stern leader like Adama say, here's your fucking choice. 
they're going to come on. They're going to retrofit your ship. It's going to be able to, to search further and faster than it's ever been before. Or you cannot do that and we will leave you behind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, that's, that's now you could argue Tilium becomes a problem. This is a failing of the, this is, this whole thing is, is, is just a failing of the entire thing. Like if the Tilium is that important it's, and it's down to one ship, then Not it might've been in your interest. Like, first of all, the captain of that ship probably doesn't own the Tilium on that ship. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know the situation of the way the Tilium is. I don't know how they get the money to get the Tilium to get it on a ship. I kind of feel like three years in that Adama in the fleet, there's a bit of almost, uh, you know, say in some of what happens with these ships that he's protected for all this time, a little bit, you know? And if not, at least a convincing argument. (laughs) But I, but I kind of feel like, I, th- like the episode, the one thing I don't love about the episode is it's almost saying that without this motion, they're going to just f- forcibly push their way onto your ship and blah, blah, blah. Like it, it makes it seem like captains of crucial ships don't have relationships with Adama. That just seems unrealistic to me. Like now three yes, years now in. That's a very good point. Yeah. Right. Three years in, you would have a relationship with these captains that you've kept alive with the blood of your pilots. It's and they almost, would go, to be honest, you know what I mean? <laughs> Now that you're saying it, it's almost a little weird that we haven't seen meetings like that, where it's like Adama and, you know, maybe the captain of the Tilium ship and other, you know, like diplomatic ships and other things sitting down and being like, all right, what's what's going on with you guys ship? What are the issues you're facing? What do you need? And like, that's got to be pretty crucial. (laughs) You don't think he's on a first name basis with the Tilium ship commander? The single fuel ship for the whole fucking thing. That guy fucking comes over for cards every day. They have a great relationship. They have to. (laughs) And do you think just because the quorum does this shit and they say whatever that they're going to jump away because like it, it's unrealistic. Okay. (laughs) Now I, I, I know, I know this is what I call the Kobayashi Maru test. I know you gave me a question and now I'm just changing the test to, 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 to do a good job at it instead of just giving you a straight answer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know I'm being, I'm, I'm Captain Kirking my way out of this, but I guess my point is this. I I feel like that this, this entire thing works and in, in, I think the captains of these ships, you wouldn't, at, civilization is over. There's only 30,000 of you left. You're all in one fleet together. I think it would be make a ton of sense for all of these captains to have, uh, first of all, a say in some of the policies and they would also have meetings like you're saying, let's discuss. Like, now the guy who runs the fucking, uh, you know, rubber toy ship, he's probably going to be looked over a little and that's just life. The fucking Tillian, <laughs> Tillium ship captain. Oh, he's going to fucking Important. be there. In fact, I probably got Marines in his fuck on his ship already to protect him from rogue Cylon operatives. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So that's what I mean. It's almost like, like we have to stretch credulity a little to believe the particular conflict put forth in this episode the more I think about it as I'm talking to you about that answer. You know what I mean? I know I'm, I know I'm doing a lot of verbal jujitsu here, but I think you get my point. <laughs> you know what I just realized too? We haven't even talked about Tyrrell and his non-baby baby anymore. <laughs> we haven't Dude, even mentioned that shit. That's huge. <laughs> because big, it, right? you know why that's huge? Because of what Six says. Wow. Our people will survive. Yeah. That's massive. Like, you don't face oblivion now as a species because of your resurrection ships being gone. Like that's massive. 
Well, now she's saying that in regards to her and Saul's baby, uh, but Chief and his baby, that's a pure human baby because that's all hot dog. Yeah. What the fuck is that about? Yikesers. You know what's funny is that I, I hated that part, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's a little it's a little wedged in there. And the truth is, I actually remember even I read something about the fact that when the final four were revealed, the when the writers picked who it was gonna be, they forgot. They literally forgot that Chief had a baby with Callie. And they, you know, they made such a big to-do of the hybrid and the silent <laughs> human hybrid. That was this whole thing. And they were like, oh shit, we fucked that all up. I think you're like, right. We picked Chief th- and he had a baby. So they had to find a way to explain it. And that's why I, I, I'll admit, I do feel like this part of the storyline, you know, this whole thing with Hot Dog and Chief, and then, you know, all right, well, I don't even care as much anymore. And it's your turn to watch the baby dad feels slightly tacked on. Sure. Like, like it's, it's got to be like, ah, we got to fix that, that weird continuity problem. Right. You know what? Before I go back to that, can I just say one final thing about the other shit? I just thought yeah. of something that we didn't discuss a lot. I do think in your cute little government that you've set up, that if you want to grant Cylon citizenship, that that cannot be unilaterally decided. That does have to go to some sort of like quorum vote. That's right. a civilian kind of democracy. That's, that's government. That's government bullshit. Like that's something that you would have to determine. You couldn't just have Rosen go, yeah, sure. Let me write it. Let me write this down. Let me <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. Frack we'll send, it. send them in. I'm going to go do, do, do some laps and then I'll come back and sign. I don't. I, I wanted to make sure that I made a distinction between citizenship and then the rights of the captains if they in fact own those vessels and what their rights are with their own fucking property. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's right. all. Again, there's a lot of question marks there, but I think the premise is flawed in that key ships would have relationships with leadership enough to where they want to be protected and they want this human race to survive as well. There's not like some random unscrupulous captain on a tillinium ship is going to hold the fucking fleet hostage. So anyway, <laughs> that just seems but unrealistic three years in, you know? Right. Right. So, um, but yeah, yeah. it's, um, I think you're right. I think that was a, a whoopsie, a whoopsie daisy with, um, yeah, a little writer, Cyril. a little writer whoopsie. Don't like, I don't love it. Um, and honestly, I mean, that's, it's kind of all I have to say about it. The only other thing I really even want to say is that I was kind of shocked I, on my first viewing, I was really shocked at at the Chiefs' reaction, being like, "Well, then, fuck it, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna leave." Like, I fuck know. Now, my, my I was like, "Holy shit, man!" He's a comedian, like, I know. dude. Huh? He's a comedian. <laughs> That's true. I don't fucking care. Whatever. Fuck it. Like whatever. God damn. <laughs> I mean, it was. It's such a cold reaction. Like, well, okay, I know you had your problems with Callie and your relationship, but you guys did still care about one another a lot. You know, it's obvious he's still torn up about that. And this is the child that you guys raised together for well over a year, probably going on two. That fucking hot dog shot his dirty sperm into. Get the the (laughs) kid out of here. Get the fucking hot dog out of here. Get rid of him. Head first into the garbage disposal. Who cares? Scrape off the dead weight. No, my love has evaporated like it was 1, never thousand percent get yourself one of those eight models and fuck the shit out of her that's sharon right <laughs> yeah <laughs> jesus <laughs> i'm like that seems like a bit of a stretch to me but um cutting them loose baby. i don't i just don't know how i feel about that whole story angle. yeah it's stupid it's, it's fine you dumb. can say it <laughs> it's just kind of dumb it's kind of dumb whatever <laughs> They almost made the right move of tucking it into a better episode with other better story arcs. Yeah. Just tuck it right in there. 
Yep. Well, shit. Yeah. What else should we bounce to? Well, I mean, do you want to talk? I mean, I think we've kind of covered enough of the uh, stuff with. Um, I don't. There's not much else here. Maybe the showdown between Dama and Zarek. Ooh, yeah. After you know, once he needs the the coordinates for the Tilium ship, because obviously you know they they intercept communications between the Tilium ship and Zarek. Where where the captain is literally asking Zarek, oh God, you know they're sending Raptors to you know board the ship. What should I do? And Zarek is you know the one saying, well legally they cannot enter. Do whatever you think is necessary. And the the, the ship jumps away. And this is where um, I go. What would really happen is the Tilium ship captain would call Adam and go, hey, what's going on, Bill? Hey, what's going on, Stevie? Hey, <laughs> fucking Zarek's been calling me. He's telling me about Cylon. What, what's going on? What do you need from me? We got such a good relationship. We've been at this for three years. What's going on? Well, let me explain it to you. We're going to get some technology over here that we've acquired from the Cylons. We got one of the Cylons, one of the good ones, the ones I told you about. They're going to come over and help, help you re- retrofit it. Boomer will be with you. No problem at all. You guys are crucial to the survival of the fleet. Absolutely no problem, Bill. We're going to get together next Tuesday with some whiskey and cars with the boys and uh, the ships over from sector B. Absolutely. Yep. Eight o'clock. Super awesome. All right. So should I tell Zach to fuck off? Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, just tell him it's under control. You know, like that, <laughs> that happens. That's three years in. Okay. Crucial right. ship captains. They're, they're not faceless I mean, fucking idiots that are easily provoked into fear response. Right. Well, that's, you know, see, that's the thing. That's where the show is asking you to go, essentially the silence are such a mystery to the rest of the fleet and seen as only enemies that the very notion, the rumor that Cylons will be placed on your ship for any reason at all is just a matter of just total terror. Um, and that's why I'm like, I, I keep coming back to the whole idea of like, it's essentially again, what Hilo said of like, we need to sell them all on this. We need to explain why this is even being considered it's not just some flippant idea of like let's toss silence on your ship because we feel like it i don't know we just don't care anymore like no there's a there's a reason behind this that we're all going to benefit from and the silence as well but these are silence that are separate from the 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 main driving force of enemy silence trying to kill us they mm-hmm. are individuals who have chosen a different path and they are helping us and here's how they're going to help us yeah and, now if and you want to never- say yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying. Now, if you want to say a couple of people on Steve's Telenium, Captain Steve, who we all know and love at this point, three years uh, in, right? Captain Steve, fine character of the show, now, well if, written, always, always <laughs> fucking solid. Now, if Captain Steve has a couple of scaredy cats on his crew that have questions and they they get violent, fine, that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Right. But again, it's a it's a it's thin. It's a thin premise for me to swallow at this point in the show. But. um but that's just kind of how I feel. That's just my own personal feelings, whatever. <laughs> but, oh, baby. Um, so Adama bangs Roslyn. We know that. That's nice. With her cone Oh, head. they're banging. Fucking cone nice. head. I'm not going to lie. Them. When she was kind of like leaned over the thing right before she dumped her meds, she looked pretty fucking hot. That's all I'm going <laughs> to no, say. No, I agree. Looked really I'm hot down. in that moment. Anyway. Down. Um, so he bangs her. Little cone head. Little nanu nanu. No, wait, no. That's Mark and Mindy. Sorry. Sorry for anyone under 43 years old who doesn't know that reference. Um, but um, yeah, um, the showdown. Ooh, baby. I'm trying, I'm trying to find it. One of our listeners made the, the really great, uh, a great comment about, about the nature of that showdown, about essentially Adama, almost like that Zarek knew 
that Adama didn't have evidence in hand, like not really giving him um, a way out. To, you mean like he like right, he took it as right. a way out, or just that uh, more so that Adama or I'm sorry, I keep mixing up the names, but that Zarek knew that even if Adama didn't have enough evidence, like hard evidence, that he could still spin a damaging enough narrative about him throughout the 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 fleet and the press to to essentially destroy his image as the pure you know, political uh, prisoner, man of conscience, um, that that would be enough to <clears throat> to wreck him, to wreck his influence, even if he didn't have super hard, you know, tons and tons of, you know, records of evidence to prove that, that Adama could still get out that idea and that, that the, the seed of that idea alone would be enough to damage him. That's why he, he lets up on it. Because, and also I think the, the other strategic strategic side of it. That's is, Callum, is like, Callum Banbury's quote. Uh, our comment. Ah, good. Yeah, Callum. it's like one of the last one of the last um, paragraphs. She says, "There we go." Do you want to exactly. do you want to dive into a couple of those? Yeah, let's do it. You know, I want I want to dive into that since we're since we're on it. Um, actually, yeah, this is perfect. Callum says, "I recently listened to an interview with Richard Hatch in which he argued that Zarek knew Adama could still have created a convincing narrative about Zarek's corruption, <clears throat> a narrative that would have swayed the public regardless of the lack of evidence." I was initially a bit skeptical of this, but on my rewatch today, it did strike me how Adama's really holding all the power here. Funny how one minute the jump drive upgrades are a political decision, but once that decision isn't made in Adama's favor, it becomes a military matter under his purview. Indeed. And that's a big part of the episode. The idea of of decisions switching from, oh, it's a democratic decision. It's going to have to be passed at the president and through the quorum and, you know, the people have to decide. And then, nah, never mind. It's a military decision. Unilateral. We're done. I'm, I'm calling it. Um, and, and to be honest, that's one of the few times in the episode where I did, I wouldn't say side with Gata, but I think Gata made a great point where he, he kind of held Adama to that of like, well, now it's a military decision because you say so. Like, wh- when does that determination switch? And Adama just kind of owns it. And he's like, well, yes, I am the one who makes that decision. Fuck you, basically. Um, but I mm-hmm. think it's a, it's a worthwhile point to, to ponder of that. Yeah, that is a distinction that is, that is not as clear cut as I think people like to think it is because it's not a normal situation. You know, again, this isn't because, because every civilian is tied to the military caravan. It becomes a very challenging situation. Life as they know, it doesn't really have a civilian component outside of this sort of weak ass straw one they've created but they're in a military caravan that is trying to find a home for them to settle. And in doing that, every decision they make has to have some sort of tactical consideration as they are being hunted by an enemy. You know, right. it's, um, it gets really, really challenging as far as that goes. Because if you were to take this situation and take all the ships out of it and just put them all on foot, like traversing across a continent, it would, it would almost be, you would almost be like, okay, well, they probably know what's the right and wrong things to do here. And I understand the fear and trepidation of going, man, they could really overstep their power and our ignorance, right? I think there's definitely that fear, like, wait, there's, there's power being seized here in our ignorance of what is right and wrong. You know, governments would never do that, you know? Like if there's a <laughs> giant pandemic and they started to, you know, do little sketchy things inside of uh, some of these Congress congressional bills they're writing. No, they would never do anything sketchy, but you know, slip a few funny mm, slippery writers in there. Nah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, man, it's, um, it's weird. It's, it's very, not a, like everything people, every, like, like the principle 
makes sense. And the situation is just very dire. It's very, it's very different. It's super challenging. But Gaeta is not wrong. Like this dude just unilaterally makes decisions and knows when to switch them from different, from this circle of, of government for the people, by the people to military decision. I know better because I have the experience and this is a tactical military matter, you know, like it's, right, he's not I mean, wrong. He, he's not wrong to, to question when is that stop gap made? But then again, you're right. a lieutenant. So what are you? the military yeah what are you getting it's an interesting point of like the whole question is you know even adama pushes it over he's like this we have to run this by roslyn you know a citizenship decision is a political decision that has to be run through the government but as soon as you know the the situation gets hairier they focus in instead of the citizenship idea they they focus in on the idea of how crucial it is as a technological matter for the fleet to have these fdl drive upgrades and that therefore now makes it a military decision. It's like, well, that that fact has always been true. Like, mm-hmm. it, you, it's never been more or less true. Now you're just focusing on that aspect of the same fact, correct? And now deciding that it's a military decision and taking hold of it. Where it's like, oh boy, yeah, you really start. I mean, like that's part of what I love about this conflict. It really illustrates how slippery the ownership of that decision even is how it's like, well, that could, that's always been true. That's never not been true, but now the whole apparatus of how do we enforce that decision has changed in a, in a, the, the, in a moment of one man's choice. Right. Which is a little scary for sure. No question about it. Um, so what else do we got here? Dude. Also, I got to read it from Jackie hockey. This is such a good, (laughs) a good quote. She says, this is the episode that proved to me that Tom Zarek doesn't know what to do with power. He only knows how to agitate against it. <laughs> Amen, Amen sister. He just um, knows how she, to rattle a cage, baby. A question for Matthew. Do you think there is any significance to the absence of the Opera House vision shared by Caprica, Athena, and Rosalind since Caprica became pregnant? That is such a good question, and I have no fucking answer. <laughs> um, this is one of the times where, I, I'm not going to lie, I am. I wouldn't... I don't. I don't think this is a, a foregone conclusion yet. But I'm starting to wonder. As much as I still think the show is holding up really well, and, and the writing is still good, and I feel good about the direction it's all heading, even if I don't know where it's heading, I I do feel a little bit like that seems like one of the mystery boxes that the show has set up that maybe we're not going to get a real answer to. Um, because I don't know what I mean. Like that, the whole opera house vision is centered entirely on the human Cylon hybrid between Athena and Hilo. Mm. And that also led to, you know, the whole revelation of the final five standing over it and everything. But it's so centered around, you know, like like Hera, the the human Cylon hybrid. And that seems to just not matter anymore. Like that just seems to be a thing that is totally tossed to the side. And I, and I'm not gonna lie. That's one of the areas where I'm like, I don't, feel like we're going to get an answer to that like i've almost kind of made peace with the idea of like i don't know Mm -hmm. if that's going to really come back um so on that note i feel like it's a very unsatisfying answer but my answer is i don't think the show knows what to do with it so i don't think we're going to get an answer to that fair enough and she asks me why do you think zarek chose this particular moment to grow a backbone Ooh, pretty judgmental of our boy zarek okay well what's interesting about that is um I may, I'm going to pull a Dick Cheney and say, I don't accept the premise of your question. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start there. And then I'm going to say, but I do love the question. 
I just want to make that clear. I'm not trying to be a fucking uh, pedantic asshole. I don't know if he did grow a backbone. I just think he seized on a political opportunity when he saw the opportunity to do so and knew that he could utilize the conflict to his advantage because I don't, I don't know, you know, you, you almost answer the question yourself, Jackie, by saying Tom doesn't know what to do with power. He only knows how to agitate against it, which isn't necessarily a bad trait. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's important that people do agitate against power, even if they don't know what to do with it when they get it, because plenty of power always needs to be questioned. And I I think, I think people who agitate against power want nothing to do with power. They don't want power at all. I'm one of those people. (laughs) I agitate about against power and I want none of it just, and I don't want any of it held over me either. Um, so I am almost like what Zarek kind of wants to be in a sense. And, And I know that's really highfalutin to say. Because Zarek is somebody who seems to want <laughs> to. Zarek wishes he was. Yeah, 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 mom. But no, you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Like he's yeah. he wants power. He he does want power. <clears throat> he does. It's, it's that's his. There. That's yeah. his problem. He wants power because he wants to change the world in a way that he believes is pure in his vision, even though he's never ethically consistent. He's never morally consistent. That's my problem with him. Um, he definitely has a backbone. Like he, he has moments of, of conviction might be the way to say it. Yeah. Um, he's just a very, he's deeply flawed. He's deeply flawed individual. Well, that's Prin- principally, you, principally flawed. You know what? <clears throat> and I'm flawed to too. That. I want to make it clear. I'm not saying he, I'm, I'm some flawless fucking awesome. What are you talking about, Dean? You're not flawed. You're seven feet tall and your dick is 15 inches long. You're not flawed. You have no flaws. You're perfect. You're perfect man. It's half of 15 inches, Matthew. <laughs> Just but, kidding. Uh, it's not that either. But, but uh, no, my, <laughs> here's my point. I, yeah. I, I, have my own, my, I have my own flaws, um, 100%. I like to think, and, and, I, and, and I'm even flawed principally, even though I try not to be. I, I really, really try not to be. But I'm also not as interesting as Tom Zarek. So I will say that. And here's why Zarek's interesting. Because he is very fucking flawed, and he makes these great cases for these ethical stances, but then he, but then he compromises those. Like he, his, his morality is very, it's very shifty. You know, he's a great order. He knows how to make a speech. He knows how to rabble rouse. He knows how to whip people into a frenzy, but he doesn't have conviction all the time. And that's one of the things, maybe I'm just too much of a purist to really get behind Tom Zarek principally. I love the character for all the reasons we've talked about him. He's an interesting character that I like and I'm happy he's in the show. But um, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't, he sees an opportunity and he's taking advantage of an opportunity because he's a politician. Like he's not a freedom fighter. He's none of that shit anymore. He's a politician. He's a sitting delegate. He's a fucking politician. He's a suit. There you go. Yeah. That's how I feel about him. You know, I, I, I want to add on to that uh, with Tommy our boy Tommy B. He uh, actually asked Jackie. That's T Dog, son. Come on now. True. You're right. You're right. You're right. T Dog. He asked uh, Jackie her thoughts on Baltar's sermon, which we didn't even talk about. Uh, uh. Baltar's drunken, bitter sermon. <laughs> and I really like uh, Jackie's take on that because she says, you know, he's in a bit of an existential spin for sure. I think it's also the first time that he's felt truly betrayed by Head Six. She's been feeding his faith and his ego for years, telling him he's special and that God has a plan for him, and now he is nothing. 
I don't think he really wanted to give that sermon, drunk, being coaxed along by his flock, and the absolute apathy when the fight breaks out. I don't know if he is maintaining his faith and his following at this point because he still believes it or because it gives him a space to define himself in, if that makes any sense. Yes. I really like that. Because, I mean, what I want to what I want to say about Jackie's point there is that I think that is such a great scene for Baltar in what she says at the very end there, that this is kind of all he has left to even define himself Interesting. amongst the fleet, amongst anybody. Like, this is his last role. He's not a respected scientist or consultant or president or politician anymore. This is what he's got. He's got his cult. And there is such a great, it's a quick moment, but I, I really latch onto it in my second watch. I'm like, wow, that's actually really weird how he's being prodded along. Because when he's talking into the radio, like he's talking into the microphone, uh, one of his you know little acolytes kind of looks up to him and says, just keep talking, just keep talking. Like not even caring about what he's saying exactly anymore, but like just keep filling the air, keep talking. Um, and that is interesting because what, what it started out as like some genuine, I don't know what you would call it, like zealous crusade of, you know, his own idea of like monotheism versus, you know, the, the, the colony wide polytheism now just seems like sort of a, a thing that he's burdened by and has to do. Interesting. In other words, he has been trapped utterly by what his head has been filled with and now he is trapped in it almost alone, so to speak. I'm like, right. like her poem, like what, what she actually writes I, does make sense. She says, I don't think he, if he's maintaining his faith and is following at this point because he still believes it or because it gives him a space to define himself in, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So I know exactly what she means by that, which is like, it's a place where he can exist. Like, do you remember when we had that moment where he was Guy's Baltar for just a second again? Remember we talked about it last week or the week before? Ooh, remind me. Well, they were talking about, they were doing science based on the bones. And I was oh, like, yes. Yes. When he was talking about the radiation right, on Earth. That's what it was. And I was like, fucking A, guys, Dr. Baltar. That's what he's always done. We haven't called him Dr. Baltar in forever. That's true. You know what I mean? And that was, and like, that's, he, he has, his character shift is away from all of that stuff. But um, it almost appears like, it's funny because the show is almost saying that all of this stuff that he has been pushed into with all of these insane experiences is now something he is utterly trapped and defined by. And if there's one thing I know about Guy's Baltar, one thing we've always seen with him in this entire show is that he has a propensity for boredom. And that's because of his fucking <laughs> intellect, you know? He right. probably is like, well, I've gone as far as I can go in this dumb thing. Now what? Like he, he, I get it. Like he's got that fucking, I'm a genius. I get bored with shit. And it's true. And it is interesting to think of him as in that sense. Now to Jackie's point, is this cult, is this place now a space in which he can define himself in? And, and does it even have anything to do with faith? Like, is it all just chicanery at this point and something that he has just sort of fallen into? You know, it's like, it's like an old. Well, no. It's like an old rock star who's just like, oh fuck, I gotta play Freebird again. Like, I, like I wrote that song twenty years ago. I don't care about it anymore. It doesn't mean anything oh, to me anymore. Times, you yeah. know, it kind of reminds me of that whole thing. <clears throat> well, you know what? I, I think Jackie makes also a good point of bringing up Head Six. I mean, that who else is there? Anybody more responsible for pulling Baltar in the direction that he's been pulled than Head Six? No, nope. saying. 
essentially even even at times punishing him for for you know faltering on the path of this you know chosen one who has a place ordained by God you need to believe in the one God you need to profligate the one God amongst the rest of the you know the people and he's been doing it like against all odds and against all of like what we could have ever thought about for Baltar the man is still fucking alive and he is now fully religious and fully committed and at this point it's been all for nothing um so of course he's as bitter and and angry and just drunk as you could possibly be like i it, it makes perfect sense uh and also i i think it it's it's pretty interesting that we see nothing of head sex in this moment like she's just mm-hmm. not even there she's yeah. not intervening anymore yeah is it possible he's just also having a moment of doubt in that in that there is in that the point was to sort of uh put a different lens on you and see the world differently and interact with people differently now you know is in other words is he completely shattered from this moment going forward or is he just having a moment you know what i mean yeah no i think you're, yeah that's possible, it's possible. Well, like but... it does it have to be a, such a fatalistic outcome can it just be he's having a moment in this new identity as people do when they go into new identities and new chapters in their lives <laughs> i i agree but i'm also like well you're having a moment that's directly influencing hundreds if not thousands of other people this is as, true as he airs it all true. amongst me and i'm like this person if it is just a personal moment of doubt or, or crisis uh it's going to have ramifications even for him i'm like boy true that's that's not gonna be true. great yeah that's true it's a good point but uh also very good shit good shit good shit from the awesome listeners. yeah man um well anything else you want to say about this week's episode man Oh boy, oh boy. There's the more we talk about it, the more we I'm like, there are like so many fucking storylines in this one episode, uh, all getting brought out. Um, shit. I, <laughs> uh, well, I'll say I wrote them too. all down. Like, I wrote a bunch down. Like, we did the silence and the citizenship, the FTL stuff. We talked about Rosalind, the presidency. We talked about, um, the, we talked about, uh, the Hite Khan and Mardet teams. Mardet is just a fancy way to say Marine Detachment as one word. It's a portman to, Mardet, his marine detachment. Um, we talked Gata. I wrote Gata blows. We talked Baltar mm. forgive, forgives her for selling in your children. Oh, yeah, the fight. Tyrell beats the shit out of Hot Dog. We didn't talk about that. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Don't matter. Well, of course, he's going to catch a beat and he deserves it. But um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure if there's anything much more to say this week. Yeah, man. I. I am very curious about where this whole Gata Zarek partnership is going to lead. I mean, it seems as though, I mean, if, if this yep. episode is any prelude to what could come, I mean, Zarek had enough influence with the Tilliam ship, you know, as much as we talked about that and debated the idea of how likely that would actually be. You know, sure. We, that we all have to deal with the aside, reality of what it is. Yeah. <laughs> of what it is. Zarek had the, the influence to get the uh, arguably the most essential ship in the fleet to bounce, um, to, mm-hmm. to disappear in a sense that only Zarek knew where it was and to hold the, the entire fleet hostage essentially, because I mean, that's the same as, you know, Hey, that's the food ship and every single grain of rice and all the food is on that one. Ch- oh right. shit. It's gone. Like right, right. <laughs> that is a big deal. You know, we can't have that up and vanish and we have no idea where it went. Um, and For he, sure. that like, to me, that is pretty foreboding as far as like the, the influence that Zarek already has. 
um, and that him and Gaeta together with Gaeta's influence among the military. Because I think a big, you know, it's a small thing, but in the episode, as Gaeta is sitting there in Zarek's cell talking to him, uh, we see one of the Marines standing there at the hatch holding guard, obviously in on it with Gaeta as mm-hmm. he, you know, kind of like holds the door so that Gaeta can sit there and, and talk to, to Zarek. And I'm like, fuck, that really... To me, that was just a nice visual display of the influence that Gaeta has among the military. And I'm like, that's pretty dangerous as far as if Gaeta really starts to turn a whole corner and be like, no, we have to completely cut off the head of this government and oust Adama and Roslyn. Well, he's got pretty inside contacts on on how to do that. Right. Um, and that makes me really wonder about... You know, I never thought uh, one thing I'll say, and I don't have any predictions because I'm like, fuck, I really don't know where this is going. But one thing I never thought I would worry about more so than the Cylons is Marines and soldiers turning on the government uh, or, uh, you know, turning just on Adama military, and trying to turning on leadership. Yeah, right. The military turning on its own. In other leadership. words, a mutiny, uh, <laughs> a large scale, full mutiny. blown fucking mutiny. I've never right. been. Uh, I didn't think that was going to happen. And now I'm like, well, it might not, but it sure as hell seems more possible than ever. Right. I got you. Ooh, yeah. Good stuff. So I'm intrigued, man. I'm ready. Wow. Ready for more. Ready for more. Well, next time we will be discussing an episode titled The Oath. So that'll be coming at you in two week two weeks. And then only a few more weeks, man. Only a few more episodes. So after Oath, there are one, two, three, four, five, and then a three part finale. Hot damn. Three wow. parts. Yeah. That's a lot of TV. It's a lot of TV. Um. Yeah, forty-four minutes each pop. So there you go. Well, cool. guys, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for uh, jumping in, uh, Callum, T Dog, um, Jackie, uh, Brian. Yep, everybody. You guys are awesome. Thanks for your comments. And um, that's it. Hopefully, we've uh, sufficiently uh, titillated your intellect um, with our chitter chatter, <laughs> with our chatter boxing. <laughs> And uh, we will see you in a couple weeks' time. And until then, Mr. Anderson, you have a good evening. And I'll catch you on the flip side.